What do we do with the commission that God has given us? How do we conduct ourselves when we interact with others? Christ came to us as both God and man to give us an example of how we are to live. The way of life, it is a place of Christ-like love where mercy triumphs over judgment and where righteous discipline triumphs over self-indulgence. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there's one other with me in the studio today. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And Anthony, would you go ahead and pray over our message today before we get into it? I would. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our, may the meditations of our hearts here in this studio and in the audience, and may the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. And now Anthony doesn't know the story that I'm about to tell. And it would just be fun if, if while I'm telling the story, you figure out who this historical figure is. Um, let me know in some way without um, spoiling it. And Anthony, afterwards, I'll ask and see if he, he can actually, if he knew who this was. Um, and if you know, while you're out there listening, what this story is and where you can find it historically and biblically, then please do let me know. But without any further hesitation, today we're going to be talking about the young king and how this relates to a parable that we find there in the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 24. But we're not starting in Matthew. We're going to start somewhere else in history. We're going to go back in time quite a ways. And we're going to go back to a time where there once was a young man who fancied himself as a king. Now, if we're going to be honest, we've got to clarify the fact that he wasn't really a king, but he was honestly a prince. And it's true that he was in line to be king. In fact, he was next in line to be king. And his father ruled a great empire. And if he had just bided his time, he would eventually become king. But this young man, he was impatient. He didn't want to wait to be a king. And he didn't like the way that his father ruled the kingdom. And no, we're not talking about um, the Lion King where Simba says, I just can't wait to be king. But it is a similar scenario to that. This young man, he despised his father's lack of ambition. His father was a very mild-mannered man, and he was a very meek ruler who preferred to study the various histories of the people he ruled and to take an account of all the treasures that abounded in his kingdom. So if you can just imagine this young man, this prince's father, he's kind of the studious guy. He likes to spend time in his study. He's not very interested in the, the politics of the day and age. He's not interested in going to battle. He's not interested in being that warrior king that a lot of people look to. Instead, he's kind of somebody who's a bit of an introvert and says, ah, leave me alone. I just want to be in my study. Well, this young man, he couldn't stand that his father's temperament was like this. His father's academic preoccupation left the kingdom in a position that lacked clear leadership. And therefore, many of the generals and officials took great liberty in their positions, and they developed an appetite for a larger serving of power than had honestly been allotted to them. Now, the young prince, he hated all of this. He detested all of this because he looked at himself. He said, you know, my grandfather was a great conqueror. My father, he should be a mighty king. Why is he wanting to just be passive and sit away and, and study stuff? And the young prince, he, he desired his bloodline to maintain full control of the kingdom. His grandfather had been this great and notorious conqueror whose very name struck fear in all the hearts of those who heard it. His kingdom was the greatest of empires, and it was revered by all people. But how could this powerful legacy last if the current king, his father, was possessed by such a tame disposition? So after some time in consideration from whence the young prince, he determined that his father had little to no interest in reigning with an iron fist, he took it upon himself to step into the throne. He declared himself the king. 
and he took possession of everything that his father left derelict. And we should note at this point in time, it wasn't like a violent takeover where you have the young usurper taking out the old king. In fact, he didn't have to forcibly remove his father at all. In fact, his father, the old king, was so interested in ruling, he couldn't be made to care about it, that he just sets his own son up and says, sure, you can be king as well. I'll be the old king and I'll sit in my study, but I'll hand you the royal robes. You can have the royal ring. You can go sit on the throne as long as you just leave me alone to do my, my studies. So that's where we find this young king. This young man with his newly fashioned kingly title, he quickly cracked down on all the generals and the officials, getting them back in line. And they'd already kind of had an appetite for doing more than they were supposed to do, so this really didn't go over quite as easily as he wanted to. So he had to have a lot of tyrannical grasp on people in micromanaging to make this happen. Because he wanted to ensure that no one made a decision without his consent. And despite their frustration with this new young king, they were forced into submission through his tyrannical grasp. And the young man, he took this attitude throughout all the kingdom and made sure that nothing was said or done without his instruction. Now the young man, he quite enjoyed his new role. He opened up the treasuries. He invited people into the palace to throw lavish parties. And of course, those who would come, they were always frustrated because the parties weren't really for them. It wasn't really a good time. It was basically just people forced to come to a party and have a good time on account of this king who didn't care anything about them. It was just a selfish young man. And it was pretty clear that he had little respect for anyone else other than himself. And the young, queen, the young king, he was quite proud of himself. He considered himself to be a great and powerful ruler. He, he thought that everything was, was great. He thought he was just the, the best there ever was. And as the, the years went by, the young king developed a reputation for being insufferable. He used his power and wealth to do whatever he wanted to, whoever he wanted, and as a result, there was great animosity for him. And as kingdom goes, when there's ever an animosity against a king that breeds great amount of instability, where people who should be your allies inside the kingdom start turning against you. And there were many who began plotting against this young king. And the enemies of the young king, they began plotting how they might conquer his empire. So what you started to see happen was those within his empire started to go outside his empire and find people that they might conspire with. And there was a great assembly that started getting together of his enemies that wanted to conquer him. And they started around the edges of this young king's empire. But this young king, he situated himself, he thought, how could they be a threat? My territories are vast. Who cares if they start coming in the edges all the way around? My capital city, it is great with many fortifications. And so he did not consider any of this a threat. And as time went on, the young king, he got more and more comfortable in his palace. He enjoyed his parties, then he became a glutton. In fact, he started to have a little bit change in his attitude. He refused to hear any words from advisors and didn't want to hear anything they had to say if it didn't already agree with what he was thinking. And his life, it seemed grand, and he thought his, his reign would never come to an end. And so he moved from this attitude that said, I want to conquer everything and be this vicious man, to he just became a glutton. And nonetheless, his enemies, they were having success in taking his land. But the young king, who had once been so concerned with protecting the vicious reputation of his grandfather, he was now just a glutton who refused to take any advice from any threats against him. He had become comfortable in the palace with all of his wealth and all of his power, and he didn't think anything could ever take it away. The reports of the invading armies had no power over him, and he didn't even consider them worthy of his time. 
However, his enemies eventually took more and more of his land, and eventually they had his capital city in sight. And the young king's generals and officials, they tried to warn him that terror loomed, but he would not hear it. And then we get to this pivotal night. One night, the armies were storming the walls around his great capital city. All of the residents, they could hear the machines of war just outside the city wall. Many of the officials came to the young king and told him that he must do something, that he must send his armies to defend the city. But the young king said no. He was in such disbelief that anyone could ever harm him that he commanded all of his officials, all the armies, he said, you know what, despite these people who think they can take me out, we're going to have a big party because he's a glutton. That's kind of what he does. And so he commands everyone to throw a big party here in his capital city as there are armies outside and they're all going to have this party to celebrate the young king's unstoppable rule. Now the young king, he had great treasures, and he had them brought before him from the lands that his grandfather conquered. He requested that the sacred dishes be brought before him so he could eat and drink from them to make a mockery of God. But then something happened. Out of nowhere, a hand started writing. And not a hand on, attached to a person, but just a hand floating in there. It started writing on the wall. And it wrote the words, mean, mean, tickle, parson, over and over again. Just as he sat there, the hand kept writing, mean, mean, tickle, parson. And the young king was struck with horror. For once in his life, the young king was now interested in hearing wisdom from an advisor. He sent word to bring in all the wise men and the sorcerers, and that anyone who could interpret the writing would be given wealth and power. Moreover, anyone who could interpret the hand would be clothed in purple and would rank third in the kingdom, with only the young king and his father, the old but true king, ranking above him. And as the hand kept writing, a prophet from one of the conquered lands came in. Now this prophet, he had served the young king's grandfather and held a reputation many years ago. And this prophet came in to the young king and examined the words, mean, mean, tickle, parson. And upon completing his examination, the prophet came to the king and made a declaration. Saying to him, he said, let your gifts be for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read you the writing to the king and let him know the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave your grandfather kingship, greatness, glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, all nations, and all languages trembled and feared before him. He killed those he wanted to kill. He kept alive those he wanted to be kept alive. He honored those he wanted to honor, and he degraded those he wanted to degrade. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he acted proudly, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and his glory was stripped from him. He was driven from human society. His mind was made like that of an animal. His dwelling was that with the wild donkeys. His food and feed was like that of an oxen, and his body was bathed in the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and sets over it whomever he will. And you, O young king, his grandson, have you not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this? You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The sacred vessels of God have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines, they have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose power is your very breath 
and to whom all things belong, you have not honored. Now, after he had this declaration, the prophet once again said, Now I'm going to give you the meaning. And he came to the king and said, And this, this is the writing that was inscribed. Mean, mean, tickle, and parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mean. God has numbered your days, and your kingdom will be brought to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is to be divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. And when the prophet had finished, the young king gave treasures to him. The young king, in the midst of the turmoil, he stood before his people and made a proclamation that this prophet should rank third in the kingdom. But all was far from good and well. The armies outside were wailing against the wall, and the hand continued in its message of condemnation. And it's unfortunate to say that the rank of third in the kingdom mattered very little at this point, because within a few moments the young king fell. The fate of both his life and his kingdom had come, and both ended that night. This story, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is the story behind Daniel chapter 5, and the fall of Nebuchadnezzar's great Babylonian empire. The young king in this story was Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And, of course, the prophet was none other than Daniel himself. Now, the old king, who is um, mentioned a few times in the story, that would be Nabodinus, um, Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. But what we find happening here in this story is a young king who thinks that he is just so comfortable where he's at, nothing matters. So let's go now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And I want us to read verses 45 all the way down to 51. Anthony, I don't know if you were able to, to guess that that was Belshazzar or not in that story. A lot of times we don't, which again, that's a little bit of that is history that's beyond just Daniel um, 5, but you can find the tail end of that story um, all throughout Daniel chapter 5 where Daniel is there coming to talk with Belshazzar. Are you familiar with that? Did you guess that? No, yeah. I, <clears throat> I forgot the names, but I knew the story of... Um, I did recognize that he was like the grandson in some way of Nebuchadnezzar and that this was going to be uh, the fall of Babylon. Yeah. And I will say, I did get a preemptive hint. I might have been able to figure out that out on my own, but uh, with the thumbnail being what it was with the handwriting on the yeah. wall... Uh, I knew at least generally where we were going. Yep, yep. Um, Anthony, would you read for us out of Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 down to 51? Matthew 24, 45 through 51. Who then is faithful and wise slave? Who then is the faithful and wise slave, whom his master has put in charge of his household to give the other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, My master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drinks with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour that he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Alrighty. This parable of the two slaves is a question of how we compose ourselves while we sojourn in fallen creation. Some who are faithful and wise will orchestrate their affairs so that they are faithful to the duties of their master. 
Moreover, those who are faithful and wise, they will understand that mercy triumphs over judgment. For that is the temperament assigned to them by their master. Nonetheless, there will be others who invest in wickedness, who will take advantage of the time of waiting, who will give their entire lives over to self-pleasures, whether they be violent towards others or destructive to themselves. The wicked slaves are those who abandon the teachings of their master, and as a result, they will find themselves destroyed. Now, this parable, it's not unique in its application. Um, It completely applies to Belshazzar, and in fact, it implies to every single one of us, because it describes the choice that every one of us has to make in life. Whether or not you are born into royalty like the young King Belshazzar is irrelevant to the commission and expectations that God has on our lives. We are but servants of the Master, and He has given us great work to do, and He desires to bless us in His kingdom. God has given each and every one of us a great gift. We are all born as either sons of Adam or daughters of Eve. And God designed us with the purpose, that we would work alongside Him and have dominion over this earth. God wants us to have joy, but He doesn't expect us to go through life as if it is just one big party of self-indulgence. God wants us to find the everlasting joy that comes from doing the work of His kingdom. Moreover, we will remember that the kingdom of God is a full kingdom. And it's filled with all kinds of work. The only things that one cannot do is be idle or advance the cause of sin. The words in Daniel 5 and the handwriting on the wall for King Belshazzar were mean, mean, tekel, and parson. These words remind us that the days and actions of our lives will be counted, and we can rest assured that they will come to an end. And when they are weighed against the justice of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, how will they be considered? Will they be found cleansed by the blood of Christ himself, or will they be found wanting and broken up, ready to be cut into pieces and divided and thrown out into the domain of weeping and gnashing of teeth? The wicked slave, similar to King Belshazzar, had gotten very comfortable in his position. He forgot that he wasn't truly the master and that he was not truly wise. Perhaps in his master's delay he had come to conclude that there was no master, since the master was not micromanaging him. And maybe he thought that his master would never return or never make him answer for any deeds, if he even existed. But he was wrong, and as it turned out, the master was there. He had never truly left, and the master knew and saw all things. For years, the young King Belshazzar was too good to take any advice that did not agree with his pre-existing opinion. He could not wait for his reward and his power till he was more mature. Moreover, he wanted the title of his future before he was ready for it. And as a result, he squandered it all, and he made many others suffer. When the time came that he wanted advice from a wise man, it was too late. No amount of power or money could pull him up from the depths that he had descended. One will always reap what they sow, and therefore it is imperative that we allow ourselves to be cleansed by Christ. The lust for power can turn any of us into monsters, and the sooner we forget that we are not the master, the sooner we will become tyrants. It's easy to believe that you will never be the unwise young king or that you will never be a tyrant, but we are all born with the sin nature. And we do well to do the work that God has given us. So what do we do with God's gift? What do we do with the commission that God has given us? How do we conduct ourselves when we interact with others? Christ came to us as both God and man to give us an example of how we are to live where mercy would triumph over judgment and where righteous discipline would triumph over self-indulgence. In this parable, we find that the master expects to find his servants working and to be working diligently with love for one another. 
And throughout the history of our faith, we find that God always desires to give people the gift of work and meaning. God's kingdom is active and alive, and God is a place for each and every one of us to participate in the Great Commission. All of us are created in the image of God, and being a servant of God is essential to the innate design of mankind. God has gifted us with the breath of life, and His desire is that we find joy in this life by structuring our lives for righteous living. Neither the wicked servant nor the young King Belshazzar had structured their lives for righteousness. Rather, they had structured their lives for sin. The gift of work in God's kingdom requires that our lives are structured from the ground up around the teachings of God. Ministry is a centrifugal work, and it begins with our own relationship with God and then it spreads out into the world around us. We must desire to live with Christ-like values and to have a Christ-like temperament. And we must invite the Holy Spirit to help us be transformed into that Christ-likeness. So when you read through something like Matthew 24 or Daniel chapter 5, where do you fit in? We typically read through scripture and we put ourselves in different character shoes. And as we read through those chapters, where do we fit in? So as we draw this to an end, I want us to examine our own hearts and minds and pray to God for his guidance and blessing. For there is much work to do in the kingdom and God wants us to be a righteous and holy people. Well, that's where we're going to wrap this up. Um, so I hope many of you enjoyed that. You can go and read through Daniel 5 and get the, the tail clip in of the story and life of Belshazzar. Anthony, do you have any final thoughts before we close in prayer? No. Nah. No? Nah? Okay. Well, would you close us in prayer as we wrap this up? Yes, I would. I would close us in prayer. Sorry, I had my mic off. <clears throat> <clears throat> the funds of technology. Yep. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to come and hear your word. Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on us. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to think that we're the exception. Lord, we know that that is one of the most dangerous mistakes that we as human beings are prone to make. Lord, we pray that we can be good stewards and that we would not be idle, that we would not be rejoicing in our own glory, but that we would remember that we're your servants, that it all belongs to you, and that in truth your back has never turned to us, Lord. There's nothing that we can do that's not in your sight. Father, we pray that we remember our first commandments, to love you and to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.